Welcome to Radio Uninvited, the podcast. We are talking to philosopher and YouTube influencer, Dr. Gregory Sadler. We will be discussing his career, current events, and his mission to bring ancient wisdom to the masses. WPKN Radio, Bridgeport 89.5. This is Radio Uninvited. This is Bryce Noble. I'm here with Ariel Ray. And today we have our special guest. It's Dr. Gregory Sadler. He's an adjunct professor from the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design. Uh, he has actually a well-traveled academic career that I'm going to ask him to outline. But he's also an author, a public speaker, and a media influencer. I found him on YouTube. I connected with him that way. But his YouTube channel is very popular, uh, you know, upwards of a couple hundred thousand followers and millions of views. So he is pretty well known out there. Uh, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, Dr. Sadler, and I'd ask you to start with your academic career and talk about your journey through philosophy. And I want you to pause at some point and talk about your stay at Ball State and what you did in the prison system. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I can actually start there because that was yeah. my first full-time teaching gig. And I only made it to Ball State campus like once or twice a semester, basically to like hand in grades, which we had to do manually back then. And I was hired by them to teach in what at that time was like the flagship prison education system, not just in Indiana, but in the nation. Uh, Ball State University had about 100 professors who were teaching in the Indiana prisons. And it was a really great program, you know, massively cut recidivism. You could like see, you know, the proverbial light bulbs going on in people's heads as you had classes after classes with them. And I, I taught in a place called Indiana State Prison, which was a, a maximum security prison up in Michigan City. And I taught philosophy and religious studies classes. Um, fortunately, I had a pretty broad background, so I could I was up to teaching these classes. But it was great too because I had to do a lot of additional research, and it was it was a lot of fun teaching those inmate students who you could see develop over time. They'd be in class after class. And unfortunately, it was always unpopular with the taxpayers, even though it was a really great proposition in terms of keeping people out of prison. But there was a sense of, oh, why are we spending money on these convicts when we could be doing other things with it? And in 2008, they axed the whole program. And so I had to get on the job wow. market quite quickly. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, I was doing the usual kind of stuff like going to conferences and publishing and so staying professionally active um, while teaching in the prison. And then I was like thrown into regular academia. And so I, I migrated down to Fayetteville State University in 2008, right as the financial crisis was happening. And they immediately like, you know, froze everybody's salaries. Uh, there weren't any jobs anymore. And I was, I was happy that I actually had a job. And I was there for about three years. And I did a lot of things there, uh, worked with the business and economics uh, college to help them with their accreditation, uh, doing business ethics stuff. And I did uh, university-wide assessment for critical thinking. And I was kind of like moving on up, right? But then I reconnected with my now wife, who was up at the Culinary Institute of America, and she was an assistant dean there. So, you know, we're both from Wisconsin. We actually went to high school together. And there was no way that we were like going to consolidate our households down in North Carolina, given the opportunity to do it in New York instead. So I, I left 
I was up for early tenure and promotion and, you know, doing the regular academic thing. I just published a book and I was on a book tour and then I, I left and went up there and um, we moved in together and I started teaching as an adjunct. And shortly before that, I had started doing the YouTube thing. And that was in large part my my then fiance, now wife, um, helping me get over the initial like, well, who's going to want to watch this crap kind of kind of poo-pooing of it. And she said, what do you have to lose? You know, go ahead and put the stuff out there. And so, so I did. And it was astounding the responses that I got, there were so many people who were like, well, you know, I couldn't go to college. This is really nice that you're doing this, putting this information out there for free, or I had to drop out. This is really great. I can, you know, participate again. And then there were all these people who were enrolled that were like, my professor won't tell me anything. They won't go over the things that you're talking about. Thanks for putting this video out there. And I realized that there is like this incredible desire or hunger out there for substantive engagement with ideas. That's not like dumbing things down for, for people, you know, like not oversimplifying, but also, you know, speaks the ordinary person's language. And and that was easy for me to do because I'd been teaching, you know, people who were not especially geared for going to college. I wasn't teaching at elite institutions and I'm from kind of a blue collar background. So it was, it was a natural transition for me. And I've just been kind of expanding things here and there. I, uh, you know, I work with some various public philosophy things like the modern stoicism organization. I was editor of stoicism today for about seven years. And um, I've done a lot of other work that's geared towards taking philosophy and making it making it accessible for ordinary people yes. and, and working professionals you know i think i think a lot of people in my field view that as kind of like suspect or slumming and that's fine because yeah. that means they get the hell out of the way and they let me get on with the work i want to do <laughs> so. yeah that's where that's where i found you is uh in my pursuit of stoicism i've been a pra practitioner for the last few years and okay we've been, we've been lucky enough to have i had donald robertson on as an interviewee last year and i had uh, massimo pigliucci on just about a month ago so you're you're making the rounds with some of the guys i'm bringing in all the philosophers and but the station loves it but you know i, I will say too with those two guys in particular yeah. and some of the other people in the modern stoicism movement you know that expression talking the talk and walking the walk there's a lot of people out there with respect to stoicism or other stuff who talk the talk but they don't walk the walk and massimo and donald are people who walk the walk yeah they're, ge they're genuinely good guys Ooh. they they know what they're talking about if they don't know it they won't try to bs you you know <laughs> so right. that's that's refreshing to see isn't it yeah it is and that's what i love about stoicism too is it's still practical and pragmatic and we're going to circle back to it because i don't want to make it all about stoicism sure you, sure you do more you much do much more than i let it was written somewhere on the internet that you're a uh, an expert in western philosophy from plato to derrida so that's quite that's quite a yeah, <laughs> wide swath there <laughs> right. are some gaps in there though yeah 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 <laughs> but no but i but i've i found your lectures uh on youtube fascinating and, and incredibly insightful and i thank you for putting all that content out there 
I mean, it, it really is a blessing for those people who pr pursuing philosophy. I, I can imagine somebody maybe I went to college, but I was a tech major, but I always loved okay. philosophy. Yeah. But, uh, but I know there's people out there who maybe don't have access to college or access to, to some of these uh, uh, knowledgeable folks. And I mean, you're, you're a teaching professor and you give, they're basically classroom discussions. A lot of them, a lot of what you do. And there's other things out there. There's an interesting podcast. I don't know if you still do it. I think it was called the, uh, oh, I can't remember the, the wisdom for life, right? I, I, oh, I, that's our radio show actually. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. And it is Excellent. ongoing. Yeah. We have, we just put out episode 65, which was focused on Seneca's uh, book on anger. Cause my co-host is also, a practicing stoic. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we've been doing it about two years. It's a community radio station here in Milwaukee uh, called River West Radio. And it's it's really been a lot of fun to get involved with yeah, it. Yeah. You know, um, community radio is sort of like uh, public radio on steroids. Like it's, uh, I won't say it's anarchic or anything because there still have to be rules, right? You can't violate FCC uh, yeah. regulations or your, your station's going to close, but the range of topics and shows that people do. And that's what you're on right now, my friend, WPK. Oh, you're a community radio. radio. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's yes, really yes, great. Yeah. yeah that is wonderful. I mean, I think it's a move. This is totally off topic, but I, I think community radio is a movement that like, I'd love to see expanding all over the States. We yeah. really need it. You know, it is interesting. I mean, this is my first quickly, my side note, my first venture into, into radio and it's not what I expected. Maybe it's because I, <laughs> I expected more of a commercial radio experience or what I thought I knew about it, but it, it's, it's, it is interesting and fun. And, and the variety of programming is pretty cool. WPK. Yeah. I mean, I've done some commercial radio and you know, you come on and you got to take all these commercial breaks all the time. So you can't really get deep into anything. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a different experience. I'll, I'll just say that. So, well then, so then to sum up kind of your scholastic career. So I just want to say, so you graduated from us, uh, university of Southern Illinois, right? You got your PhD there. Yeah. And I did my master's there too. And it was actually, you know, now there it's in terrible shape because Illinois, um, didn't properly fund its schools for a long time. So the philosophy department, I think there's only four people left there, out of 14, which oh. is what they had when I was there. So I, I don't think they're going to stay afloat as like a PhD granting institution much longer. But at the time that I went, it was really, really awesome because we had people representing all different kinds of philosophy and the philosophy department had great connections with other departments. So like, you know, speech communication students would come in and take classes with us or English or history. And then we would go and take classes with them. So it was, it was truly a university, not just like this, you know, everybody's got their little niche or something. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was a, it was a great time that we're talking about the mid nineties, you know, early two thousands, uh, great time to be there. Um, unfortunately, a lot of those kind of spaces, don't really exist anymore, you know? I see that all the time. Like commercial things don't go deep. Community things go in yeah, deep. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it was funny, like two days ago, I was at a political event with uh, Andrew Yang. And it was so funny that when he was on um, uh, kind of like commercial TV, every single time he wanted to get a point across, like they had to go into a commercial, but yeah. every single time, <laughs> like, but then when you're on a podcast, it's like, like, like a political platform deserves hours to get across, not just, okay, what would you do? 30 seconds. And, and I would do, they would do, okay, you're done. Now to the next guy. It's, it's like, you know, I think like as Americans, we need to get this sense back of like, things take time to explain. 
It's yeah. not just the 30 second back and forth all the time. You know, another flip side of that too is when you have more time, it's a great way to tell the chaff apart from the proverbial wheat, right? Because if you if you have a substantive thing to explain, that's that's really awesome. You get like 30 minutes, an hour to maybe even longer to explain it, right? You can go into all the depth and detail that it requires. If you're just kind of selling flim flam, then once you get past that initial five minutes, pretty quickly you run out of stuff to say and you keep just repeating the same stuff, right? So it's kind of a BS detector too, to put people in the oh. longer form. Because sometimes when people ask me what I'm doing, I sort of facetiously tell them that I'm in sales because what I'm doing is I'm selling philosophy to to people as something they should, you know, check out, study, apply within their lives. And, you know, there's that expression, I forget exactly how it goes, that if you have a good product, you don't really have to sell that much. It's when you have a crappy product that you have to do a lot of salesmanship, right? A good product kind of sells itself. So I sell Aristotle, Plato, the Stoics, the Epicureans, pick whoever else you want. And all, all I have to do is like, you know, explain it a bit and then get the hell out of the way and let the philosopher make their own points in a way, you know, using my voice and then people buy it because it's, it's good stuff, you know, and they might not buy every single product, which, which is perfectly fine. Right. We don't have to have everybody hooked on one line or another, but I, I do kind of think of what I'm doing as selling, being a really fortunate salesman who gets to sell a high quality product that it's almost like, it's just up to me to not screw it up. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Bryce. No, 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 it's great. And, you know, I personally believe, you know, that that philosophy and even the ancients, they have a lot of keys and to, to you know, open doors of today. There, there's a lot of oh, yeah. acquired wisdom that we're just looking past. And I, I love how you said that you work to make philosophy more accessible to the public because they need to hear these things and they, they need to not dismiss these people from long ago as being, oh, they're old. That was thousands of years ago. What do they know? It's not that these concepts about human nature. I mean, they, it just hasn't changed. So what's been the biggest challenge there? I would say the biggest challenge is that you're swimming upstream against a lot of other people who don't really know philosophy that well, like especially with stoicism but see that people are interested in it and then they want to like put out their own little stuff and like sell a coaching platform or classes and um, they often misinform people. And so getting your content to be, you know, floating to the top, that that's, that's the real challenge because um, you know, let's, let's take fake quotes, for example. So I've put out a couple, these are fake quotes. Don't repeat yes. these by Marcus Aurelius yeah, or Plato or Aristotle. Yeah. yeah. And, and you do see a lot of people who, even though they should know better, they will put out fake quotes and yet what's that all about? Well, they're chasing clout. They want other people to think that they're smart. And so they're quoting somebody famous like Aristotle, even though if they knew Aristotle's works, they'd know Aristotle wouldn't say this sort of thing, right? And, and it takes just a little bit of work to track down fake quotes uh, and figure out that they are fake. So there's there's lots and lots of people that are just like grinding away at this because they they see content generation and the niche of philosophy as a way for them to make money or have um, social capital of sorts. So you you know you struggle against that quite a bit. 
Um, and it's never ending because people are constantly going to be doing that sort of thing, right? Uh, and and I, I suppose the challenge that goes along with that is not letting yourself get all ticked off or dismayed at people doing that because people are going to do what they're going to do, right? It, it's it's a world they're trying to make a living. Um, so you, you got to compete with that. And then, you know, another thing I'll say too is I don't always tell people where the ideas are coming from. So if somebody's really interested in philosophy, I'll say, hey, let's check out Cicero or Seneca or Aristotle. Here's what they have to say. But if I'm going in to talk to a bunch of business people about anger management, I may just present a insight or a technique and I won't tell them where it's coming from. And they probably think it's coming from like psychology of the 20th century when really it's coming from Thomas Aquinas or from Seneca. Now, if they ask me about it, then I'll say, hey, well, here's where it came from. You can read this guy and he's got a lot to say about this that you might find interesting or useful. And then, you know, then it makes sense for me to to name names. But a lot of times I don't even name names when I'm when I'm working with certain groups of people. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people have been ripping off the ancients for a while and repackaging and selling <laughs> their own, as their own self-help solution, right? I mean, you know, yeah, that's Right? There, there is a really funny story, and I forget who the who the guy was. Uh, there was a this is back in Chinese philosophy around the Middle Ages. There was a guy who he would say stuff, and people would be like, "Wow, that's really profound." This this thing that you've got, and what had happened is he had discovered a lost book that um, somebody else had written, and he was just essentially plagiarizing from that. <laughs> And somebody went and finally went to his place and saw him like studying uh, this this book. And they were like, what, what text is that? And then he, the game was over, right? And it was revealed that he didn't have all these profound thoughts, but he was just stealing from somebody else. And then they made him copy the book for, for everybody else. And I wish I could remember offhand the name of the the we, we I think we've forgotten the name of the guy who was stealing but the text itself was named after the philosopher who was considered very profound. Uh, but I just can't recall it to mind right now, but it, but it did, you know, according to historiography, it did happen. So, and I'm sure that's happened before with other people too. Well, I mean, talking to Donald Robertson, I mean, the crux of cognitive behavioral therapy is based in mm-hmm. philosophy to begin with. So that it's just like, Everything we're using to to heal us now is 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 something that came from the past, or maybe not everything, but many things. And I think if people understood that, they'd pay more attention to philosophy, especially the ancients. A lot of answers are there through logic and reason, not not just to heal yourself as an individual, as self help, but societal help. I mean, it's self help at writ large, yeah. right at scale. Yeah. Now, I wanted to come to Stoicism, so you kind of have this mm-hmm. wide range of knowledge. Uh, you're a professor of Western philosophy, like I said, a, a broad spectrum there. How did you kind of settle into Stoicism as kind of being your niche and and talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's one of several niches, but it's one that's very important to me and for personal reasons. Um, So I work a lot on anger management and I do that in part because I have struggled with anger since childhood and I didn't get into philosophy to study that, but I I realized as I was reading philosophers that they actually had a lot to contribute more than, more than often modern psychologists did in resources for understanding and dealing with anger. And so I, I originally was like looking at Aristotle for that sort of thing. And then I started reading Epictetus 
And I saw that the Stoics had just a ton of cool ideas and practices that could help me not be as angry or get control of my temper when I needed to and slowly change my my habits. And then I, you know, then I found out that Seneca had a whole book called On Anger, which was quite great to read. That was actually the first thing by yeah. Seneca that I read. Um, and then it just kind of it went from there. I, I think it's in part, you know, maybe there's a general principle here. You you look at um a school or a person for one thing. And you're like, wow, they're really helpful for that. But they're not just helpful for that. Maybe they have some useful things to say about other matters. Like, you know, Aristotle or the Stoics can tell you a lot about your personal relationships and they don't actually have like dating advice or anything, but you could apply their stuff to dating and probably do okay. Not necessarily in the, the you know, it, by the measure of like, picking out who you're going to date and successfully dating them, but dealing with all the challenges that are going to come up, right? And thinking things out in a smart way so you don't want, end up wasting a lot of time and money and stuff like that. So it was like that for the Stoics. I, I The anger management thing was the thing that pulled me in, and then I was attracted to other contributions that they had to make. Yeah, no, that's great. And then uh, so I went to my first Stoic con. Uh, just this last year. And, and uh, oh, you good. There. Do you want to speak a little bit about that? And there's all sorts of other Stoicon X events, just like there's TED and then TEDx. So there's local events that you can participate in. Uh, you know, I know that that uh, some of you are, are out in LA, and I, I think that the LA Stoics actually did one last year as well. Um, we've done some here in Milwaukee, and people have done them elsewhere. Uh, so it's it's uh, pretty easy to get in on one of these sorts of events. Yeah. I'm finding yeah, I'm finding more and more. I got to check out the LA Stoics. Not not aware of that, but uh, we we we're getting a little low on time here. I wanted to touch one more thing about Stoicism, and then I wanted okay. to talk about your Reason IO and anything else you're doing before we close out. Was why do you think Stoicism has su has such a resurgence in the last oh. like let's say twenty years? And I brought that up to Massimo. And he had an answer that I had read elsewhere. His his feeling about it real quickly was that it's kind of the crumbling of institutions, maybe in, in, in the mm. last generation or so, that maybe has forced people to kind of dig deep and look inwards, right? And stoicism is great about that. So instead of yeah. looking for my government to fix me or my, my church to fix me or even our heroes in academia to fix us, that we're kind of looking within. Would you agree to that? Or what is your take on that? Yeah, I think there, that's certainly an, an aspect of it. I mean, there's always been challenges for people, but now, you know, in, in America, at least we had this like uh, solution to problems of saying, let's just make the pie bigger and then everybody gets a slice. And that's not, that's not working anymore in part because too many people are like cheating and taking slices that don't belong to them. And there's, you know, uh, I think about like bank failures, right? Or uh, uh, people who took advantage of PPP loans or stuff like that. So, you know, there's that aspect. And, you know, social conflict is getting much worse. We live in a much more polarized society. Um, so I think for a lot of people, they want to figure out how can I not just survive or withdrawn to myself, but how can I flourish? How can I have good relationships? How can I make it in this world without demanding that like the world be set up and suited to me? And that's that's an aspect of Stoicism as well as of other philosophies of life. Um, 
And I, I think that uh, the internet has played a massive role in that as well. Uh, the fact that you can find so many resources just with a simple Google search that wasn't possible 30 years ago. And that I think that the, the resurgence in stoicism, you know, there's an academic aspect to it. There's a local aspect to it, but I think that a lot of it has been mediated through the internet. So, you know, thank God for that. All right. Yeah. I know. I know personally, I, I felt like, you know, when I, when I found stoic philosophy and I understood the tenets and I really focused on, I'm like, wow, I've been a stoic most of my life and I didn't know it. And I, most of the people that I've, I've, I've bumped into say pretty much the similar, similar things, right? It's just a certain way of living your life and looking at things like, Hey, there's people well, thousands of years ago kind of agreed. I think it's important. So temperament can play a role in that, but I think it's really important to distinguish between sort of like just the, let's call it natural stoicism versus the actual philosophy. And you could have like the, the natural aspect, but it, you really only bring it out when you study the philosophy. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, you got to read Epictetus and Seneca and, um, you'll get so much more out of it when you do that, right? Cause you're, you're using them as like thinking partners so that you get into situations and it's not just you on your own and your gut responses, but you've got Epictetus saying, Hey, remember this buddy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that really helps out a lot. I think. No, you make a good point. It's not just about, Hey, there, 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 the, I agree with these practices or yeah, the yeah. economy control makes a whole lot of sense or deferral of judgment. It's mm-hmm. about understanding virtue ethics at some level too. Right. So you have, you have to do a little studying there to really, yeah, you could, you could think of it as like, it's something that you work at. It's uh, it's not something I ever master. It's not like there's a checklist or anything. It's sort of like there's a whole constellation of ideas, and you know, you, you, obviously, you're going to work with one first, and then another one after that, and another one after that. But they all kind of reinforce each other, and so you may not realize when you're trying to figure out how, how does this dichotomy of control thing actually work. You know, I get into situations that I think I understand it, and then I get all bollocked up, and you know, now I'm confused. Well, maybe the the key to it was something else over here, like the nature of the virtues. You know, um, and yeah. and and I think it's it, another thing that I often stress, and I'll say this real quick because I know we're getting close. Yeah. When you're doing any sort of intentional reworking of your way of life, you're going to fail all the time, right? And so learning how to deal with screwing up and then getting things only half right, really, really important, you know? And that's where it's it might be nice to have like a group of people that you work with because they can say, oh, yeah, man, I, I screw up all the time too, and I've been doing this for 10 years. <laughs> so. Exactly. I'm not that we should aim at screwing up, but no, no, you know. of course not. So we got a couple minutes here. So I want to make sure, Hey, you get out. Uh, what oh, are you yeah. work, working on and how can we find you? Well, I'm really fortunate in that if you just type Gregory Sadler into Google, tons and tons of stuff will come up, which really sucks for all the other Gregory Sadlers out there, but I'm perfectly happy taking advantage of uh, reason I owe is my business. And through that, I do like uh, everything from executive coaching and ethics consulting to providing tutorials and online classes. Um, and then, you know, my YouTube channel is is probably the way most people know me, but I also do have a podcast called Sadler's Lectures. And I have a radio show that I co-host with my friend, Dan Hayes called Wisdom for Life. And all of these things you can just put into Google and that's, that's really nice. They just come right up, right? <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Hey, we really appreciate your, appreciate your time, Dr. Gregory Sadler. Check him out. He's he's all over the place on the internet. Hey, really, thanks for your time. We'd love to bring you back. I have a lot of other questions 
uh, brief interview today. Yeah, I'd be happy to come back on. We'll do it again. Thanks a lot. Sounds good.